Okay, hi, how are you, gang? How have you been? How was your holiday? Did you eat plenty of turkey? Did you argue with your, with your family about politics? I'm sure you did. I somehow managed not to. I don't know how. I think it was mostly booze. Um, anyways, uh, this is another episode of Terribly Funny, your favorite podcast, your at least top 10 favorite podcasts. And I'm your host and your best friend, Steve Bazelon. This, of course, is the podcast where I talk to funny people about terrible things that have happened to them. Uh, and today we have a, a wonderful actress, a fantastic person, and an all-around all great pal, uh, Gillian Jacobs, on the show. She's our guest today. Uh, you know Gillian from her, her wonderful Netflix show, Love. You also know her from uh, starring in, this past summer in the Mike Birbiglia movie, I Don't Think Twice. You also know her from a little-known show called Community. Uh, that's where I worked with her for many years. But before that, I met her on the mean streets of Pittsburgh when I was 15, maybe 16 years old. We, uh, we did a, a, a college preparatory audition class at the Pittsburgh Playhouse, and we did a bunch of, I don't know, Shakespearean monologues together. Uh, I don't remember what mine was. I remember the monologue started with, Have You the Heart? That's all I remember. I did that monologue probably 30, 40 times, and I, that's the only thing I remember. Um, Gillian was always a much more talented actor than I, I was, as evidenced by the fact that now I write dick jokes, and she is very successful at that trade. Um, but beyond that, Gillian's just fantastic, and today she sits down and talks to us about uh, relationships with fathers, and mourning, and Pittsburgh. All sorts of fun stuff. Um, I think it's a great episode. I hope you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to enjoy it. So make yourself comfortable. Get cozy. Fix yourself a little booze drink. And uh, here it comes. A delightful episode of Terribly Funny with Gillian James. And we put each other into the deep end, but there is only one. Uh, no excuse, really. But yeah, it's not, it's not looking cute right now. Well, three days ago, or had you had... On Thursday, this finally started looking like a normal place again because I had a leak from my upstairs bathroom. Oh no! Like a week ago, so like the entire it came to, like it rained in that room. Oh. So they had to come in shit. and like re- they had to clean the carpet and replace everything, and so oh, it's like, like that. Only- mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. How old is this building? Nineteen ninety-one. Yeah, there was a plaque outside, like they had to commemorate this this building for historians' sake. Oh, 91 gets a plaque. Yeah, it really does. Um, so tell me some stuff. Okay. Tell me some terrible stuff. Some terrible stuff. Also, Ritz sweatshirt. Where's this from? Oh, this is... It says Equal Pay Now. It says Equal Pay Now. It's a Rachel Antonoff sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. She's the best. Uh, there's a store called Myrtle in LA on Sunset that only sells independent female clothing designers and they carry her stuff. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. My friend, do you know Julia Pot? The name sounds She's really an illustrator familiar. and animator. She did like a line of illustrations for her line like two years ago or a year ago. Oh yes, I remember yeah. those. Those were great. Yeah. I think super talented. I think I have some of those. Yeah. I love Rachel's stuff. Yeah, she's she's a talented person. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's a tangent. So tell me. Terrible things. Terrible things. Well, let's see. <laughs> Hmm. Just open that box. Um, I've never really. Ta- I, I don't think we really talked about this, but my father died of cancer, mm-hmm. um, of pancreatic cancer, and I had a very difficult relationship with him. So that was a tough, terrible I, thing. I would imagine. And yeah. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This was happening when we were working together, right? Yes. Yes. He was first diagnosed with cancer when. I think it was like the 
third season of Community, mm-hmm. which I think you worked on. Yep. And he was one of a small percentage of people that qualified for this thing called the Whipple procedure, which is one of the only things you can do for pancreatic cancer. Right. And it worked for a time, but then his cancer came back. Ugh. Um, and he passed away. That feels like the most, the simplest terms of putting that, but it was that, um, well, because you had, you had like a, a somewhat tumultuous relationship. Yes. So what was that like going through like somebody who is your father, mm-hmm. but also you're not in, in, intrinsically that close with? Yeah. It really makes it um, far more confusing um, for me. Uh because you're dealing with grief and loss, but also the 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 death of the idea of a father. Right. So there was that sort of closed the door on it ever getting any better or him right. becoming the person that I kept hoping he would become. So it was kind of the, the end of that. But I really tried um, in the last year of his life to... Um, to accept him for who he was more and to feel the love that he did have for me even though he didn't express it in a way that I wanted him to and to try and forgive him as much as I could and the last words I said to him were I love you which was a huge step for us so yeah I mean without knowing much about it that feels like the way you want to go out yeah um that's interesting because when you're saying that it was I imagine that is a thing anybody I've ever had, you know, a stressful relationship with. You're always like projecting and idealizing, like hopefully mm-hmm. we can get to this place. Yeah. So when you have to let go of that notion of, oh, that's the ideal that I was, the utopia that I was hoping that we could one day get to is never going to happen. Was that like more of the morning than the actual? Yeah, it was that, and you know, you. For me, it was like right after he died, I had a whole flood of really painful memories of him come back up, of really um, hard times and disappointing things that he did or said. And so it's not that normal grief, I would imagine, where you're filled with all the happy memories and that sense of loss of all the good times with someone. For me, it was like I didn't really have a lot of positive things to remember. So it was just sort of this flood of um, bad things but I think something I also realized was that forgiveness is an active thing right it's not a, like a one-time um, pass so I had to keep forgiving him as these things would come up and these bad memories would come up and I also just tried to feel empathy for him because I don't think his life turned out in a way in which he would have liked to to right. have so regardless of how many you know hurtful things he did to me I, I ultimately feel sad for him as a person because I don't right. think he ended up where he would have wanted to end up um, and he had a lot of wasted potential because he was a very smart man and he could be very charismatic and funny but he he did really didn't do a lot of work on himself you know and the, the work he did do was kind of very late in life and right. so but you also kind of have this I think maybe fed this notion by popular culture that parenthood changes everybody for the better. 
Sure. You know, and so I think my dad was also an example to me of the fact that somebody can become a parent and have a child and have these responsibilities and still not really um, change for the good. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I was so frustrated with him as a kid because I kept feeling like he should know that he should do more and do better for me. But he didn't, you know, he was still too caught up in his own pain and his own issues. He couldn't get past them. But I have to have compassion for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, you're saying, like, it was an active progress, an active uh, progression of continually forgiving? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, even though that he, physical presence is no longer a thing on Earth, do you feel like you're relationship is still evolving you know I it it's hard because I I didn't really know that much about him as a person because he wasn't very open Mm. and he wouldn't really share that much with me and I ultimately did not end up spending that much time with him as an adult Um, and I felt like anytime I tried on the phone to have a deeper conversation with him you kind of shut it down right so I feel like the communication I kind of have with him in my head now that he's gone is more with him as like a child, mm. which is like an I think a a safer, um, more innocent version of him to think about. You know, him as a little boy, and you know, some of my aunts and uncles have talked about the fact that he was a really happy kid and he was really funny and charismatic and smart and charming, and I don't quite know what happened there. Um, I think a lot of factors, but I think I try and think about that, that kind of like innocent version of him. Right. And I think I feel more connected with that. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because he, he's, it was just a kind of a sad life, Yeah. you know? Sorry, this isn't very funny. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, there's not, I don't, I mean, I, uh, you know, there's certain things I look back and laugh. Like, I remember my dad would always, like, hit on waitresses and women's shops. Uh-huh. And sure. I remember one time he took me to buy a winter coat. And um, I could tell he was hitting on the girl that worked in the store. And then she said, oh, you're so lucky Grandpa's buying you a coat. Oh, no. <laughs> and that, that shut it down. really made me laugh <laughs> so hard, and I just saw the disappointment on his uh. face. Um, he was, you know, my parents were in their uh, late 30s when they had me, so mm-hmm. especially when we were kids, that was, like, older than the yeah, average sure. parent. So my parents were kind of older than... But I've seen your mom. Your mom looks fantastic. My mom looks great. She looks great. I assumed that she was younger than my mom. My mom is looking good, which yeah. is giving me hope. But yeah, my dad, I think, was maybe a bit older than uh, than a lot of dads when I was a kid. And so this woman just assumed he was my grandpa. Oh, what a knife to the gut. <laughs> That's also delightful. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> you know, I do remember... I, I, you know, he did always really encouraged me to be an actor and supported me in that pursuit. That's great. And that, I think, you know, he had parents who didn't encourage him in that way. He was given two choices, be a doctor or be a lawyer. Um, Did he do either? He was a lawyer, which he hated, and then he quit practicing law. Um, But I think for him, he felt a sense 
of accomplishment because he encouraged me and right. he, you know, always supported me and he would come to my plays and, you know, I, when I, I got into Juilliard and my mom was afraid because I would be giving up any kind of education and my dad right. said, no, you should go. And I think he really prided himself on that. Wow. So, you know, I know a lot of people who, um, are in the arts who didn't feel that support from yeah. their parents and I always did. So that was one really positive thing. Um, and, you know, of course, like, he then said that he had had ideas of becoming an actor when he was a kid, which I don't know if they were ever true or not. Playing revisionist history. Yeah, but he did. There, I do remember seeing a photo of him in the high school play. Um, I think he was in the play Were No Angels. And um, he had uh, <laughs> sideburns made out of black velvet taped to the sure. sides of yeah. his well, face. that's what you do when you're a kid. Uh, very classic high school play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do remember he was an extra in some TV movie that shot in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. And so both my parents were extras in movies and TV before I was ever in one. My mom is an extra in that Kevin Smith movie, Dogville. Dogma. Dogma. Yeah, I remember. Dogville is a different. That's the Lars. Different. The Lars are true. Your mom was in that. Interesting. (laughs) My mom was like a reporter in a scene in Dogma. That's cool. And I remember, I was so jealous because I'd never been in like a movie or Yeah, I remember I stopped by set because they shot... You lived on the other side of town, but yeah. there was like this Mexican restaurant that my mom and I used to go to all the time growing up called the Franklin Inn. Great name for a Mexican restaurant, right? The Ben Franklin Inn. Um, but that's where they shot for their scene that was supposed to be in Mexico. And it looks like a suburban Mexican restaurant, Come but that's on. where they... But I remember stopping up there because one of my friends was a waiter in it. I was like, oh holy God. fuck, this You're is amazing. Movie. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it was very exciting. And yeah, I can't remember what TV movie my dad was in, but I think both of my parents played reporters in... Uh, in movies and TV before I was in ever in anything. Wow. Did you... I mean, that's like a pretty big thing to... Um, I was lucky that both of my parents were always inherently supportive of artistic endeavors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they wanted me to get an education in general, but like... You know, my dad, I think... Uh, uh, he, I think he always kind of wanted to do what I do, but didn't mm-hmm. when he was younger, didn't understand that that was even an option. Yeah. Didn't see how that was a thing because it was, you know, we were not surrounded by that at all. Um, and my mom was just like always like a bastion for, you know, fighting for arts and things. So, but like that feels like a big thing for, you know, when your mom, we have a very good relationship with, mm-hmm. is like, you know, playing the cautious parent to be like, well, I also like you to get like, make sure that you're going to be okay in whatever capacity. And your yeah. dad's like, do it. Yeah. No, it it was an endorsement of me, and I think he didn't want to repeat, you know, the mistake that his parents had made in having a very narrow view of what were acceptable professions. Um, so, yeah, I do have to give him credit for that. Yeah. Does um, that feel good? It does. I mean, it, sometimes for me it's, like, hard to stack up the wins against the losses. Right. And... Um, and, but I, I could do a better job of appreciating those things that he did do right. Um, I know he loved me. And, you know, it's it's one of those hard things, too, where when people would say, oh, the way he talked about you, he loved you so much, you're the most important person to him, but he could never make me feel that way. Yeah. So it's that disconnect between what I knew he felt for me and the way he would talk about me to other people but the relationship he seemed to want to have with me was so superficial. Right. You know, and the kind of the downside of him supporting me as an actor was his kind of obsession with um, celebrity and success and Hollywood. That feels a little gross. So that, you know, when the 
the sort of sum total of the conversations he wanted to have with me on the phone were, how'd that audition go? How, did you get a call back for that? Right. Are you getting that? When's that coming out? You know, so that that kind of felt like the sort of downside of that support did was that, that... Yeah, did that make you feel like somewhat even resentful of what you did? Yeah, because it's hard to, because... Um, I think I kind of struggle with how um, seemingly superficial the business yeah. is that I'm in. And so I think there was some part of my dad that kind of liked that aspect of it. And so when I would get on the phone with him and all he wanted to sort of have was a status report of my professional life yeah. and then get off the phone with me as quickly as possible, it made me feel like my success in Hollywood was the only thing that was important to him. You know, he wasn't yeah. a guy who could have told you what my favorite book was or the names of my friends. I mean, he always got my friends' names wrong right. from the time I was a kid, which to me was like so indicative of the fact that he wasn't really listening. Yeah. You know, uh, whether it was like a Kirsten Kirsten, you know, thing or whatever. Sure. You know, it just, it, uh, you know, he didn't really know that much about me as a, as a person. So sometimes the support of me as an actor kind of felt like, if I had chosen a profession that he didn't think it was as glamorous, would he be so invested in right. my life? But I, at least he never told me, don't be an actor. Yeah. You know, and he would come to New York to see my plays even when I knew he didn't have a lot of money. He would still, you know, make the trip and um, come see me. So it was support. But, you know. it. Did it, you ever ask him, like, why is this important to you and other things are not? Or was that just like, that was never kind of the kind of dialogue that you guys had? Um, the times when I would try to have more substantive conversations with him, he would kind of deflect or shut it down. And, you know, he was a guy who was sort of like silence or rage. So it wasn't right. like a lot of introspection. And, um, and you know, maybe we could have had more of those conversations towards the end of his life, but we mm. didn't. And, you know, I just kind of have to accept that. Accept that. Is there um, a little bit, you were talking about how other members of your family or friends would be like, he, you know, he always said so, he's, you know, you were the light of his life or mm -hmm. whatever hyperbolic language that is. Is there a part of you that feels like, okay, A, I'm going to call bullshit, <laughs> or B, then if he's talking, why is he enable, if that is the truth? Mm -hmm. Are you protect? Are you family members protecting my feelings? Or if that is the truth, why was that something that was incapable of actually expressing to me? I don't doubt that that's how he felt. I just think that there was he could only so go so far in terms of intimacy. Right. So I don't know if he knew how to have a, a intimate, vulnerable, emotional relationship with anyone. Um, I don't think he. I don't know. If he wasn't capable of it, if he was never pushed to it, if he was so afraid of it. But I think the only way he could express that love was sort of bragging about me to other people. Right. Um, but, you know, I think one of my uncles had some of his possessions and um, he sent me a box and I saw that he had kept all these notes and cards I had written him as a kid. Mm. And... To me, it, it was both like, oh, he did love me, but it was also like he's holding on to these things from when I was a kid because he doesn't have an active, real relationship right. with me now. 
So I think he liked the younger version of me before I questioned him on anything or I pushed back. And I think it was easier for him to remember me as like a little kid. And I remember him saying to me, probably when I was seven or eight, like when I was, when you were little, you just loved me and sat on my lap and you didn't, you know. So I think, I think he had a hard time with me as, um, as an independent thinking person who could question him on things. I don't think that, uh, he was comfortable with that kind of parental child relationship necessarily. And so he didn't quite know what to make of me. Um, because you were, I mean, what we met when we were like 16 or something yeah yeah and, I could have been younger than that yeah and I don't know uh, I feel like most of the people that we are that we are mutual friends in like the world that we exist in like they were mostly like pretty proactive and curious and smart kids by and large but like you were always like a very uh, hyper articulate and you like were really you really enmeshed yourself in whatever you were working on like it always that was always like what struck me is like oh that's fucking smarty pants over here <laughs> like you're always like really smart uh, and, and very like articulate um, so I imagine that would be like a thing as a father when you're seeing this evolve and like ugh the things that I don't like about myself yeah. are now like being questioned or reflected back I think I think he also came from a sort of 1950s view of um, parent-child relationships where there's not a lot of questioning of the parent. Sure. Um, and so I think he was also kind of uncomfortable with that, that I could bring up valid issues with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, he, I don't know, I, his father died when I was very young, so I don't really know what their relationship was like, but I don't know that that's something that he quite expected from his child to be so um, questioning of him and demanding more of him. And, um, you know, he just was a... He's just an example to me of somebody who couldn't get out of their own way. Right. And um, and it's an example to me that, like... you kind of got to force yourself to look at the things you don't like about yourself or you might find yourself stuck in a really bad pattern um, that's not going to lead anywhere you like. But, uh, you know, he was... I, I struggle. I struggle. This is a... Yeah. Sorry, Steve. I picked a. I picked no, a, no, an no. unfunny... <laughs> no, don't worry about it. This is... A lot of these things are not yeah. like, intrinsically that funny. Um, well, I have a question for you. Yeah. Because you talked about, um, to take it perhaps a little bit away from your dad. Yeah. Um, you talked about like his, your perceived notion of his lack of ability to be intimate. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you, a fear that you've carried into your own adult life? Or like these, these aspects of, of him, uh, be it emotional or like mm-hmm. that, does what, like, to what degree is it like a genetic... <laughs> Yeah. Just like ingrained in yourself. Is there like, is that, have you carried fear of the things that you've seen in your father into your adult life? I think I am kind of a bit of a loner, which I uh, don't know is always necessarily the best. Right. Um, I'm an only child, and so I think I got very used to being by myself. Sure. I didn't have a lot of friends as a kid. Um, and so. Yeah, I think I think people, my friends, will always like 
tell me, like, you buried the lead. Like, I don't start off probably with in conversation with, like, the most pressing, urgent, or, you know, emotional right. thing. Um, I think I have a hard time asking other people for help or relying on other people. Um, I'm working on that. And so I think that might be kind of, you know, he was, he turned into very much kind of like a loner. Um, and so I wonder if in some part that is, you know, whatever his traits are, um, excuse me, I, I, so I have to kind of push myself. Um, I kind of always assume that people don't care or they don't want to hear it or, you know, uh, I always assume that people won't like me <laughs> until proven otherwise. Sure, so sure. I, I think I have to kind of push myself past that a bit more to, uh, to have more like vulnerable, intimate friendships. I think I'm very good at def- turning conversations back onto other people, sure. asking them questions, and yeah, not. And it's easier. Yeah. Yeah, and also I, I assume like well, it's also it's polite. It's polite, <laughs> yeah. and it's also like. I, this is something I've talked about before, but like my both of my parents were headhunters. My mom more so late in life, my dad my entire life, and like part of that is getting people prepared. And he always said like, you know, in an interview, always ask questions, mm-hmm. ask like leading questions and like closing questions, but just more anything, just ask a lot of questions because everybody's favorite topic is themselves. Yeah, yeah, and that's like something I've carried on, but it's also like I know all my shit. Yeah, that shit's not interesting to me. Yeah. So like, I'd rather hear your stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I definitely therapy has helped me in a lot of different ways and especially in my relationship with my father and sort of, you know, leading up to his death and in um, afterwards um, helped me come to terms with that, really helped me understand his limitations. Um, and I am, I am like proud of myself when I'm, able to open up to other people this is like you know i've never talked about my father so this is a real (laughs) well i'm honored taking off my skin uh here um yeah you know and it's hard because i i always wanted to respect his privacy yeah while he was still alive because he had the right to you know privacy um but i i have wrestled with the idea of like there is i think maybe some benefit to talking about these things that maybe it could help somebody else who's dealing with this as well um because i i wish i had um really dealt with him uh gotten past the anger earlier in my life to yeah. to deal with some of the other issues there because i don't know if i could have had a better relationship with him, but maybe I could have had a greater degree of acceptance um, earlier right. before he, you know, um, and that maybe would have been some solace to me. So it's hard to accept people for who they are and their limitations. Um, but I think when I stopped expecting things of him that he clearly wasn't capable of, I could start to... Um, see the good that was there uh but it you know it just felt like he was just constantly disappointing me I um but that's because I you know kept expecting things of him which I don't think he was capable of right but I'm not a therapist so this might all be bad advice well (laughs) no I don't know and I think that's I think uh uh I have the things, the traits that you're talking about, I have a little bit of me. Like, I'm also an only child, and mm-hmm. I, like, 
I try to ask a lot of questions. Um, I do the same thing as well. Um, and I feel like by and large, like I play things closer to the best. Mm-hmm. I think as I've gotten older, I've like had to open up more just because life has made it so. Yeah. Like there's certain things that you just can't hide. And, you know, kicking and screaming, I've realized that like, oh, talking about things like kind of normalizes it. And it, uh, when you open up, you find that everybody else is like, that's like kind of the reason why I do this whole thing. Is yeah. that like everybody's got some sort of shit happening in their lives. It may be dressed up differently, but everybody's going through something in some capacity. Um, I remember, I think it was season three or whatever, and I remember just like talking to one of the table reads and you intimating that your dad wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. And like we were friends, but we were like not like, you know, open up bros. Yeah. But just remember thinking like, oh, fuck, I wish I could help in some capacity or wish I could, you know, wish yeah. I was more on that level. And I think well, like that's you were going what... through your own thing. Oh, yeah. I was like I totally mean, dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were under 100 pounds, so. Yeah. Which I mean, was not great. But yeah. it's also like. I feel like that was like another reason we're like, I am also like in the weeds. Like, yeah. let's be weed friend. You know, I feel yeah. like they, I think that is my instinct. I didn't talk about it much until that point in my life because I could, I could hide it up until then. And then there was yeah. a point where like, well, I can't hide this anymore. I'd look crazy. Um, but I feel like, I feel like that's when I couldn't hide anymore. Then I had to talk about it. Yeah. And that kind of, I don't know, helped me deepen relationships with people or trust people more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I remember um, the day that he died, uh, we were shooting Community, and I remember there was this scene, and I was sitting in a chair, and I was like, oh, all the smoke they're using in this scene is really bothering my contacts. Like, I can't, can barely see, and so every time they called cut, I would just sit there with my eyes closed. And people are coming over to me and going, are you okay? Are you all right? And I said, it's just the smoke. It's really bothering my contacts. I can't really see. And um, eventually I went up to Bob Rowe, who was one of mm-hmm. our ADs. And I said, Bob, can they just use a little bit less smoke in the scene? Because it's driving me crazy. And he went, oh, there's no smoke. Mm-hmm. And I just went like, oh, this is... Like, I'm going, am I going crazy? Or is this like a... I've never experienced a physical manifestation of stress or grief or... Yeah. You know, and I just had to walk, go walk outside and walk around and be like, oh, I've, I've now hallucinated smoke. That's a new... <laughs> that's a new thing for me. Um, Isn't it crazy that when you realize when you're not acknowledging what you're actually going through or you're suppressing in some capacity and then you're like... when your body reminds you there's a manifestation of that like oh fuck my mind is incredibly powerful yeah oh yeah yeah you know i uh i've had all kinds of like uh stress responses like i've developed an eye twitch i yep. have uh i had a weird twitch on the top of my foot for a while wow that's uh, a unique place for a twitch feel very weird to have the top of your foot twitching yeah um I gave myself shingles. You did? It's like an old people disease, but I was going through. My mom was sick, and my grandmother died, and my, uh, uh, what do you call that? Marriage. Marriage, Marriage yeah. Was falling apart, <laughs> and, like, I was just, like, going to work every day and, like, pitching stupid dick jokes, yeah. and then, like, at some point, I was walking down the street, and my back just gave out. Wow. I was like, how old am I? And I thought I'd just throw my back out, and then I got a rash, like, a week later, and, like, oh, I, I am. Shingles. Yeah, because it's just, like, it's usually, like, an older, yeah. when, when your immune system is so low. Or when your body's under such duress that it's like we can't we can't handle all this shit. Uh, yeah, I remember. And then it creates smoke. <laughs> you smoke or shingles. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my my babysitter as a kid got shingles that never went away. Oh no. Yeah, 
and they had her on OxyContin. Oh. And she said that the effects of it were so strong. She's like, I'd rather take the unending pain. Oh, Jesus. Being on Oxy. Yeah, some people have that reaction. I I was, you know, on various degrees of Oxy after my operation. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. You get it. Because it made me feel like a person. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, it's, you know, I think when you're taking it recreationally, it's a different thing. But like, that was like the strength of that drug where you like, I feel like a husk and I took this thing and then like it just it just leveled me yeah it made me feel like a person oh my god their drugs are weird um we've known each other for such a long time yeah man probably I've known you as long as I've I've known anyone that that I still know in LA yeah I was thinking about this today uh just because I was thinking about this in general yeah um when you did Midsummer's Night Dream yes with um, Jared Fenningworth. Oh right? my God! Yeah, who was also in Dogma. Yes, he was. Back to yeah, he was. He was like one of the rollerblading yeah. demons. Because <laughs> I remember, like, this it was like the Pittsburgh public. Yeah. And you guys were like, he was like fifteen, and you were like sixteen or something. And I was like, Jesus Christ, they're in the public. And like at the time, that was like Carnegie Hall for us. Oh you know? yeah, yeah, the Pittsburgh Public Theater, which was like the Equity Professional Theater in Pittsburgh. I was lucky enough to do, I think, like three shows with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I remember being like so just like viscerally jealous. I was like, oh man, oh that's God. amazing. Ah, I was so bad in that play. I got such terrible Not reviews. Everybody. I mean, we were like, we were children. I There's no reason that I at 16 should have playing, been playing Titania, the fairy <laughs> queen in a Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh-huh. And I remember, yeah, I got terrible reviews in that play. Um, also, how hard is that when, what, like what reviewers like a 16 year old? But, you know, it was funny. My acting teacher, um, did you ever know Ingrid Sonicson? She taught yes, at Carnegie Mellon. I knew her, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't have that. Like Jill and like yeah. uh, Tony, what was his name? Tony, um, oh, Tony fucking, what the fuck? He was the head of the drama department for a while. Tony. Yeah, I can't uh, remember. But um, Ingrid gave me this great book called No Turn Unstoned, which is a collection of really terrible reviews great actors have oh, gotten wow. in various plays. And I remember being like, you know what? I wouldn't have cast me in this part either. I don't think they're wrong. Uh, But it was like a very interesting thing. Like as a kid, you know, uh, to to get like a bad review in the in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, which was our big our big uh, newspaper, and um, to then have to keep doing the show every night, knowing that you got bad reviews. But it was very good because almost every play I ever did in New York got terrible reviews. So it was good. Oh, so it prepared you for it that. It prepared me. That's good. Thanks then you a just lot, to, Pittsburgh post Yeah, you have to just keep going. And then I remember my mom had signed me up for some class that they, they had at the Pittsburgh Public Theater, which was like learning to write theater criticism. Oh, and boy. so then we took a trip to the office of the man who had given oh, me a wow. terrible review. What was that like? It was, I mean, you know what, I... I, I think I knew he was right, so but I think he did give a little acknowledgement of like, yeah, sorry about that. Oh, man. <laughs> and I think he said like something like, I came back at the end of the run and you were better and I had a feeling you would be or something like that. But it was like, oh. I shouldn't have been playing that part. You know, I was totally... Yeah, but that's not on you. That's like a great opportunity. Yeah, I know. But it was like, I, I had to acknowledge that he wasn't wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I feel that way sometimes and like working in television and we, we have like a lot of kids and there's sometimes I'm like, oh. 
this fucking idiot can't turn a joke. And they're like, I'm talking about a 14-year-old. Yeah. And it's like, just give them. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Oh, my God. I must have been so bad looking back. But, you know, I was doing my best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I loved Shakespeare, and I was very happy to be there. And it was... Well, like, that also says something about it. I mean, like, granted, I was forced to read Shakespeare at uh-huh. that time, so I, like, genuinely got into it. But, like... Yeah. You actively liked Shakespeare. I like, actively I remember reading Henry V and be like, I don't, I can't, <laughs> I don't know, man. I was a very proud participant in the scene and monologue contest at the public theater. I remember those, yeah. For six years. Wow. Very, very proud. Sure. I think I won the scene contest twice. Twice? So, yes. See? My strategy was always to pick boys that I had crushes on and ask them to do scenes with me. And that worked, apparently. Worked. Yeah, because it was like you're already, like, you're blood's always already going well there was there was chemistry going in at least one direction mm-hmm. i was sure if they were like that's me. enough that's enough i remember i think it was at the playhouse where we took acting classes together at some point i i had never kissed anyone and it was like i was you know getting to the age where it was like everybody had kissed someone but me and i tried to start a game of spin the bottle at the playhouse oh, really? and i was resoundingly the answer was no <laughs> I don't know what that says about me or all of us as, like, theater nerd kids that people were like... I think we're all probably nervous. Absolutely kid. not. I will not play Spin the yeah. Pot. I was like, I thought I could at least, like... Come on, guys. Are we get safe it here? Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh. Yeah, some um, acting class. I don't think you were in this one at the Playhouse where she was trying to have us do sense memory, and she was like, remember your first kiss. Go back to your first kiss. Oh, and I no. started crying because I'd never kissed anyone. I was like, I don't have anything. Did you admit that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Wow. Wow, see, but that's, like, also, like, what kid... I would never be vulnerable enough to say that. I'd be like, uh-huh, sure, I've kissed tons of people. Well, I'd started crying, so obviously yeah, I, I think I'd already... Yeah, showed my hand. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you in terms of, just because it's me reflecting my own experience, mm-hmm. um, being an only child... Yes. And you're, you've been in a relationship for a long time now, and mm-hmm. you say, you were saying that it's hard for you to, like, really open up. Yeah. Um... I think that was that was always my experience until I started dating my ex. And then it was like I was forced to open up because I was going through all these things that just kind of like made me vulnerable. Yeah. So like I had no choice. And like in, invariably that it enriched the relationship so much more and made us like bonded us together. Yeah. Like we're still like very good friends now. And I don't know if we would be if it wasn't for that stuff because it felt like we It's I've said before it's not hyperbolic like she kept me alive. And oh, like Oh man. But, like, I think now uh, I am, again, like, having the same problem of, Mm -hmm. like, finding, allowing myself to be open up to new options. Yeah. Because, like, it was so hard to get to that and then finally got it. And it's like, well, I don't fucking do that again. Uh Are you... And also I felt like it made me a a little bit more codependent. Mm -hmm. Um, I think primarily because I just needed to be because I needed someone to help me. Yeah. But I think because it was so against my nature to be vulnerable, once I finally was, I was like, I'm a barnacle now. Yeah. Um, is that a, do you have a similar experience in terms of? Well, I, uh, my, my dad was first diagnosed with cancer very early into my relationship. Right. And so that was a real, you know, bonding thing. Yeah. And, um, and so I definitely was vulnerable right um 
in a way that I probably hadn't been in previous relationships and just openly emotional and, yeah. you know, struggling. It tends to expedite the relationship a bit. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's... It, and when you when you have a partner who has been through um, things or is sympathetic and can really support you, it really does, you know... It, it shows you what I think true support is and it, and it also encourages you to be vulnerable. But, yeah, I... Um, I think I I it's interesting codependence. I um I feel that more of my mother I think than mm-hmm. romantic relationships because it was just me and my mom um when I was growing up and she really relied on me and I think a lot of single um mom only child relationships can veer into this where mm-hmm. you kind of become a half adult partner half child yeah and so the the delineations between um parent and child and just sort of like putting you on equal partner grounds can get kind of fuzzy and so for me I had to go through this process um of individuating from my mother because I think she kind of viewed us as one right um and I remember when I I remember landing some really clear strong blow with my mom as a teenager where I like in the middle of a fight was like you don't know where you end and I begin and I kind of shut her up with that that's that's an incredibly aware thing to say (laughs) it's a very prescient thing for a child this teenager to say yeah so I think you know we had a rough time of it I think when I went to college I, I really swung far in the other direction of not really being in touch with her as much or opening up to her and um and my mom was always a very nervous, worried person. So I also think I felt like I couldn't tell her the hard things that were going on in my life because I didn't always feel like she lessened the burden for me and sometimes just sort of made me feel more nervous or worse. Right. Um, but I feel like um, we've really worked on our relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've come a long way from that codependence to a more healthy support thing. Um where I really encouraged my mom to like work on herself and I think she's at a point now where I feel that support coming back right um in a way that I don't think I necessarily did or I kind of ran away from it when I was a kid so you know it's hard too when you have um when your parent dies and your parents are divorced yeah because that's it's also like um a kind of um, confused it's not the way uh, I I thought about like a, a parent's death yeah. that you read about or you see in movies and TV it was a it was a different more complicated your parents were divorced as well yeah, yeah. They, they split up when I was like 10 mm-hmm. so but I will say when my mom died it was the first time as an only child where I was like oh I get why it would be nice to be more than just me. It would be nice to have another one of me here. Yeah. Because it was the first time just like sorting through all that stuff. And I had a very good relationship with my mom. Yeah. But much like you, when I was in my teen years, I felt like we were both going through our adolescence at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because she was like starting to date again. And yeah. we like both kind of go out on dates and then come back and kind of talk about it. Which is a weird experience yeah. for me to like see my mom as like a a romantic and sexual person. It's like when you're that age, it's like, ugh, I'm this, you know, you're just still in like the age where you don't really want to communicate. It's yeah. like, I want to get away from you as far as possible, but I was forced to do that because we were going through, it was, a, it was, I, I don't know if it was totally codependent, but it felt like there was no, the line be, very quickly became, 
from parent to peer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I think, I mean, my therapist did say like, you know, all the, the, all the hard things and all the disappointing things also went into making who you are, Mm -hmm. you, who you are. So I can't sit here and say, I wish none of it ever happened because I do like parts of myself that I think maybe are a result of having a disappointing father and a, you know, having to have a harder, uh, parent-child relationship but um yeah it didn't feel like that um I you know and I, I think a lot of times too when you have a, a very difficult parent um I felt a lot of pressure as a child to try and um reason with my father like mm-hmm. I was sort of given the task of I was the only one who could get through to him or I was the only one who he would listen to or he would care about and so it kind of placed this burden on me beyond being a child um uh, also of having to like tell him the tough news sometimes like right. communicate the bad news to my dad um that I felt resentful about that that shouldn't have been my role as a child and I think it kind of gave me some unhealthy ideas about what relationships should be like so right. I've had to sort of walk away from that of like feeling like I can control or change other people when I can really only control my response to other people. So um, I've had to kind of unlearn a lot of those lessons that I was taught as a child. Right. Um, Because ultimately, even if I had a kind of temporary victory over my dad, if I got him to do or not do whatever it was in the moment, I ultimately didn't change any of his behavior in the long term. So um, it was this kind of like, false idea that I had this degree of control. And it also linked this idea of like, if he loved me, he would change. And I think that you kind of got to separate the two. Sure. He loved me and he chose not to change. Yeah, because those things are not in- intrinsically linked. Yeah, which I think they were for me as a kid. So you're well, sort yeah, of. Yeah, you want them to be. Yeah. Right? Sort of railing against the storm of like, why doesn't, why doesn't he do better because he's my dad? Yeah, that's a hard thing. Yeah. That to recognize, I mean, just be. You're forced to uh, see your parent as as a human being earlier mm-hmm. than most people do under, yeah. those, under those circumstances, right? Because other people, we get to, like, if it's a normal nuclear family, just like, all right, my, they're my parents and there's things about them that annoy me, but I don't really have to see them as a human being until I get much older. Well, it was funny, too. I remember I, I used to babysit. Um, I was, like, a nanny after college. That's what I... Um, I earned money before I started really working as an actor. And I remember it was uh, two parents and two kids. And the mom had said that one of the kids couldn't do this one thing. And I remember the two kids and the dad all went, that's not fair. And she went, okay. And I was like, I never had that. Yeah. I never had anybody else. To mirror what you were feeling. Yes. Um, and it kind of felt like my, my mother's will was immutable as a child. Right. Like. No matter how many convincing, compelling, factual arguments I could present her with, if she decided something, it wasn't going to change. Right. And and with my father, he was more unreasonable. Um, but my mother was just sort of like uh, very set Duncan, in her Duncan ways. Is nudging very close to the microphone. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like I had this, I had this very contentious relationship with my piano teacher for I want to say like eleven years, and everybody else, my. My babysitter who would take me to my lesson, my grandfather, everybody would be like, she's not very nice to Gillian. 
clearly I was not a talented pianist. I was never going to like pursue it. Um, I hated it. I hated practicing. Um, and I, and I had a terrible relationship with my piano teacher, but my, my mother's solution was like, okay, now you have to go twice a week. So it was like a therapy patient who's in crisis where it's like, you got to go twice a week now. You're, 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 they were like, you're so bad at piano. You have to go twice a week. And it was supposed to be like a temporary thing, but I never got any better. So for like, I don't know, eight years, I had to go twice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and it didn't stop until finally I, you know, I would be doing these plays like the, the uh, Midsummer Night's Dream and I, my rehearsal schedule would get, you know, intense and I would have to miss lessons. And she started telling my mom she was going to charge her for lessons that I missed. What? So the only thing that got through to my mother, not like the years of people saying like, this is not a healthy relationship. I don't like the way she talks to Gillian. Me saying I hated it. The only thing that finally got through to my mother was like being forced to pay for lessons that I didn't have. Oh, wow. And so finally she let me stop. But I was like in high school and this had been going on, I think, since I was in kindergarten. Oof. Um, and so, you know, looking back, like that's definitely something I'll be like, I can't believe you made me do that. Sure. And I'll be like, I'm sorry. I, you know, she was supposed to be the best. And it was like, you know, my mom had this notion that, like, you're supposed to do extracurricular activities sure. and play classical piano, and she was supposed to be one of the best teachers, and um, so I had to keep doing it no matter, and it didn't matter that I was also doing, like, theater and, you know, very active involved in that yeah. and doing other things as a kid. It was like, she just got it into her head that I should keep doing this, so no matter how much evidence to the contrary, I was going to keep doing it, um, but yeah, I it was it was just this, like this teacher and I were just at odds with each other. Uh, And I remembered there was one year where we would have these recitals and it was joint recitals with her and the, um, and her, the teacher's sister was also a a piano teacher. Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. Mm -hmm. And she was like, had a lot of really great piano students. Some of whom went on to go to Juilliard and study, you know, become professional musicians. And so they would structure the piano recitals from like worst to best student. So I was always very early in the program. And everybody knew this? Oh yeah, it was very clear. What the fuck? Well, because the pieces would get increasingly more difficult. I know, but like that's like... Well, usually it went by age. Well, it usually went by age. So it was like littlest kids to oldest, but I never really progressed. So I, as I got older, I didn't go any further into the program. I was always still pretty much first. And one year it was daylight savings in the spring and we'd forgotten to um, change our clocks. She showed up an hour late. So I had to perform immediately before the best piano student. Sure. And everyone started laughing, including my teacher, because I was so bad. And um, And you're like 14 or 15 by then. And I remember she always said, my piano teacher always said to me like, you're not very good, but you really sell it when it comes to performing. Like I was acting, sure. you know, like a lot of classical pianists, they kind of like really get into it physically yeah. as they're playing and they're sort of like swaying I've and seen they're moving. Yeah. yeah. So I would really kind of try and sell it <laughs> performance wise, oh, even though I wasn't very good at it. So I really think I gave it my all with this like very easy, simple piece. And then this girl got up, I remember, just and crushed just it. crushed it. Um, so that was... Do you... I mean, obviously, it wasn't a great experience. Yeah. But is there like a part of you like, well, now I can kind of play piano. I'm glad I have that. I you know. I did do a play um, in New York where my character had to play the beginning of the Moonlight Sonata. Sure. And so I was glad for that. But it was funny because it brought up a lot of like um, 
the bad associations I had with piano because they hired a piano teacher to teach me this and I would feel myself getting nervous yep. and flush and everything and I had to like talk myself through it like you're not a kid this is this person's not gonna yell at you um but yeah I mean I am grateful for the fact that I can read music but I think I would have learned that in a lot shorter period of time or we could have switched to maybe a yeah a kinder who's... gentler teacher that's interesting that like see I I played a bunch of different instruments. Yeah. Never long enough to let anything stick. Like uh-huh. I, when I was really young, I had a, uh, a violin and then piano and then trumpet and then guitar. Oh wow! And then back to around. piano. Ooh. Yeah, but I know nothing sticks. Yeah. Like I can play the intro to Smashing Pumpkins today, and that's about <laughs> all I can play on the piano or on the guitar. And then the piano, I think I can play like the opening chord of Yesterday. Like nothing, just nothing. And like I wish. I wish my parents would have done a little bit more what you're just for a little bit longer. Just like make me stick with it for like two years so I can at least have like a foundation. Yeah. But it's all gone. Well, my mom made me keep taking lessons because her parents let her quit. Yeah. So it's like So that's this, a good lesson to me that yeah. don't force my kids. Don't it's it's hard not to just be reactionary. Yeah. Um and I think the thing I tried to say to my mom was like, she didn't really have a lot of strong passions as a kid. She got very nervous in school. She was sort of like easily intimidated and didn't really know who she was. I, you know, you knew me when I was a kid. Yeah. I knew what I loved. Like I had a clear passion which I pursued from the. You time were very of, pointed. Yes, you were a sniper. You were not. Buckshot. I was. I knew from you know when I. I think I was eight that I wanted to be an actor. So I think I think she could have backed off on the piano because I so clearly you had a driven, passion yeah. for something. Um, I think if I had been a little bit more unfocused as a kid, I could have understood it more. But. You know, it it uh, <laughs> it was a running joke in my family. Like, she w- on family vacation, she um, bought a um, <laughs> she bought a piece of paper that was the piano keyboard uh-huh. that she would make me quote unquote practice piano on family vacations. You can't do anything. Just it pressing, do anything. yeah, uh, playing this uh, uh-huh. paper keyboard, and all everyone in my family would just like roll their eyes because I was so bad. And I had so you, They could tell that you were bad oh, on a yeah. piece of paper that was making no oh, noise. Yeah. Well, my one aunt is a, is a violinist. Okay. And so I think, you know, oh, and all the other aspect of it was that, like, uh, I was a latchkey kid and I was supposed to go home um, every day and practice piano in an empty house. So, of course, I watched nonstop television. Of course. And, um, and then I would go to my babysitter's house because my mom worked... Um, and it's funny because it's like really where I developed my love of comedy. It was like watching yeah. these TV shows after school. I was the exact same way. I used to watch like just like four hours of Mr. Bell video. Not even that great, but like that's where I like developed like, oh, this is how a joke works. Just like without even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. Like I remember watching Kids in the Hall and yeah. Absolutely Fabulous and, you know, all these shows and like stand-up specials on Comedy Central. And, um, and so my mother hates television hates TV like I remember I came home one time and she put a sign over the TV that said only bad girls watch TV oh boy way to moralize that and then another time she had put a lock and chain around the TV cabinet but she didn't do it tight enough so I just slid it down and opened the doors (laughs) on the TV cabinet and Uh, she also nice attempt yeah she also told me at one point that she had installed surveillance cameras in the house that she could watch me from work and she would know when I was watching TV Wow, she thought of everything. Duncan, you've got to be breathing directly on the microphone, Pat. But he's so cute. He is You'll very excuse cute. it. He's very Will he cute. let me pet him now? Yeah, yeah, he can get in there. There Hi, we guy. go. Um, 
I think it's interesting how you said like the piano your recitals you like that facet of, of being of just I'll just sell the fuck out of this this is something I can do yeah I never got I never even like did a recital like I was in band in in middle school so like I had to do that shit like the Christmas concert or whatever um, but what it, taking guitar lessons what made what's what a skill of that of mine that it muscle that it exercised was just like bullshitting because <laughs> I would go in and I recognized like I could get this guy to talk about like things that he liked to talk about yeah because I'd never practiced. Yeah. So like I would come in and just be like, I would ask him about bands or like shows that he had and we'd talk about the 45 minutes and then like, oh man, we only have 10 minutes. All right, well, let's go over what we remember last time. So like I never got better, but I just like got him. Well, it also goes back to our both deflecting it mm-hmm. by asking other people questions. and Yeah. Yeah. But that's what it made me good at. Like, yeah. After, like every week I was like, oh, I, I see what I can do. It is I a just, useful skill. It is a useful. I mean, I think that's a little bit like I always say like that and like public school like taught me the art of bullshitting. Like really? that's what it got me yeah it like made me had to be more charming more charismatic because it would get me out of things yeah 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 I was not very charismatic I was more like the kid who everyone was like stop talking about that no one wants to hear about right. it uh, I think I had to learn a little bit more about that as I got older um, and I also think you know for me I, I don't know how you felt about this Um, but I had to really learn, um, I didn't have a very strong, like, friend group as a kid, Mm -hmm. and I was the only child, so I didn't understand teasing as, like, a healthy, normal part of interpersonal relationships. Uh, I just thought it was people being mean to me, and so, uh... But at that age, a lot of it is that. Yeah, but I do feel like there is, like, a degree to which, like, I had to develop, like, a slightly thicker skin about it. Um, and I remember, you know, my mom as a kid telling me I had to develop a turtle shell because, you know, kids would make fun of me at school and it would just crush me. Sure. And, um, and I do think, uh, when I went to Juilliard and it was like, there were 15 of us and we were sort of in classes together for four years. It was just us really. It was a very small group of people. And for me, it was like the first time I had anything resembling a sibling relationship. Right, right. And so it really made me have to get better at that and understand more about like how groups of people are with each other right. because I wasn't I was such a loner and it was really just like me and my mom and I was always far more comfortable with adults and I would just always gravitate to adults more than kids my own age so it was really the first time I had to learn about like this is how people communicate and it doesn't mean that they hate you right. and um and, and also having the ability to laugh at myself because I was, like, a very serious kid. So I think I, I, will, I, I had to learn that. Yeah, I will say, like, just being, you know, on the peripheral, like, you know, knowing you more in high school and then, like, getting to know you more in our mid-20s or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a, there a shift here. Like, mm-hmm. there was, like, a more of a, I don't know, a, a ease. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what that came from. Yeah. Just, like, a little bit of, like... Um, I don't, I, this is maybe not the best way to articulate it, but I felt like life had beaten you down a little bit. Like, as life beats all of us down, just yeah. like all these things, like this, um, the ideals that you have when you're oh, young, yeah. just kind of like, oh, that's not always how that works. Yeah. All right, well, I'm enjoying life more now because I've had to go through something. I've yeah. Humble it a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely um, feel like I've, I've really learned how to laugh at myself in a way that I didn't necessarily as a kid. And, um, 
And I think that has served me well. And I also just feel like, you know, I I think the great thing about, like, working on Community for six years was, like, I wanted to do comedy and I always loved comedy, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, like, really a part of my life up until that yeah. point. I'd done very serious, humorless, independent films. Um, it never really been <laughs> asked of me before. And so I think I just learned... You know, from being in the same room as, like, Donald Glover and Jim Rash and Joel and all these people, like, I feel like I learned a lot, um, not just about, like, performance and um, being in comedy, but just kind of, like, a way about going through life that I think um, maybe you saw reflected by the time we worked together again. Yeah, I think so. But I also, this is just, I mean, purely from a complimentary standpoint that... You know, that's what I was familiar with, like, the things we did in high school. And then also, like, you know, knew the things that you were working on earlier before Community. Yeah. And it was, like, they were all just, like, kind of much heavier fare. Well, they were not liked, like, comedy fare. No! Yeah. So just, like, I was always, like, man, that's a tribute to what a talented actor Gillian is, is just because, like, she went from, like, doing no comedy to, like, in, like, just absorbent, like, a sponge. Like, your learning curve for comedy was incredibly high. Like, going from, like, not doing to, like, oh... And now she's like a home run hitter as much as anybody else in this cast. Well, thank you, Steve. Yeah. It was it was really great, and I felt like um, community was like sort of the best version of that. Um, it's safe to fail here, like every right. because I I do feel like we really loved each other as performers so much, and would really celebrate each other's crazy wild takes yeah that you did feel an environment in which you could try something or make a fool out of yourself or go outside your comfort zone and the other people in the scene would be cheering you on right. as opposed to other sets where it might feel a little bit colder or more competitive or yeah. like people didn't necessarily want you to do well i felt like we kind of delighted in each other's sure um talents and so i think that i felt like i could right. push myself um, and then I just tried to steal from other people. Sure, if that's the best thing to yeah. do. Um, um, sorry. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, just uh, uh, getting back on the terrible topic. Yeah, sure. Let's go back. Um, we did the terrible. We did yeah, a little funny. Let's sure, go sure, terrible sure. again. Just that. Uh, what did you? Ha- what if any advice do you have for anybody who's going through or has gone through? Um, a strained relationship with a with a parent, and then having to mourn what the ideal of that relationship is, and then yeah. also the actual the actual person. Um, I think the uh, learning about forgiveness, I think, is one of the most important things that I um, learned throughout the experience with my father. Um, and that doesn't mean that you uh, excuse the bad behavior uh-huh. or you condone it. Um, but when I found compassion for him, I felt more at peace. And that was a gift to myself, ultimately. That ultimately forgiving him was about um, lessening the burden on myself. Sure. So... Uh, he still made all the mistakes that he made and disappointed me in all the ways that he did. But I don't feel as much heaviness on myself. Um, and 
I would say, you know, if you're, if you are lucky enough to be able to afford therapy and that's something that's available to you, it really helped me. And I know that's not something that everybody can afford or has access to. Um, but if you can maybe find a place that has a sliding scale or find a resource like that, um, that really was a lot of comfort to me. Like we talked about, uh, being more open with the people in your life that you can trust that are sympathetic and sensitive, um, that, that did help me a lot and, um, going easy on yourself. Right. And, um, just showing yourself kindness. Yeah. Go easy on yourself. Um, and I do let myself remember the good things now too. Those things come up, and you know, I I um I had a hard time um being in touch with members of his family. Sure. And so I've been trying to reconnect with people, um, and not punish everybody for one person's disappointments. Right. So I feel good about you know, getting more in touch with some of my, my family members and my cousins and, and really, you know, because it was hard. I think, I think people felt bad for me in my family. Um, that's a shitty standpoint, isn't it? Which always created a weird dynamic. As a kid, I was the, the first one who, um, whose parents got divorced and Mm -hmm. my dad's side of the family, a lot of my aunts and uncles were more financially successful than my parents so there was sort of like um, an imbalance there. And and I think they knew that my dad was a real disappointing father. And so I think that feeling of pity that I felt um, put a distance between, you know, me and, and the members of my family. And, and maybe now that he's gone and I'm an adult and I'm, you know, uh, I'm my own person, that can kind of not be a part of our relationship anymore and so it allows me to sort of meet them as an adult and see them for who they are and not through the lens of uh, being a child and because a child doesn't have a you know necessarily a clear vision on um family dynamics so i have to also open myself up to the possibility that you know there there are people who love me there seems enough I am coming from a place where you know my parents were the first to divorce and my family my mom is one of nine and my dad dad had a bigger family and it's a weird dynamic to be young and you can sense I I grew up with you know you're supposed to respect elders elders. Um, so when I could sense that like these people who in my mind were like you just in inherent respect when you could sense that they felt bad for you or they felt awkward around you or they didn't know how to talk around you it was like such a weird dynamic and it's again like a weird power shift where you had to go to I kind of have to deal with your feelings yeah I have to absorb what you're feeling as opposed to yeah it's um it, it made me feel alone you know within my family and then you know as time went on other others of my aunts and uncles got divorced and I wasn't the only one anymore um but I think, you know, my dad's behavior, you know, kind of put him in a different realm than my yeah. than my other family members. 
and um, and I and you know and I can understand that because I I sometimes have a really hard time knowing what to say to someone who's going through a difficult time. I think that's a failing of my own my own that I that I have to work on is uh, how do you say the difficult um, how do you have the awkward hard conversations um, when you don't you're worried about saying the wrong thing yeah um and so i can see how for them they didn't quite know what to say and i was you know my parents got divorced when i was two and so i was so young but um you know um it's 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 a it's it's yeah also let yourself have fun i think that's the thing i think my my um part of my you know having to be a little adult and um, mediate things with my parents and uh, all that. I I and and I think my mom has really come a long way in this. But I think fun was a bad word in my house growing up. Right. Um, you weren't well when the television is for bad girls. Yeah. Um. And so I've kind of had to lead by example with my mom, and I feel right. like she's come she's come a long way with that. But I didn't think it was okay to have fun. Mm. Um. And so to not be so self punishing all the time. I that's think, great advice. Uh, that's another thing that I've really tried to work on. Um, and uh, it's okay to be silly. <laughs> I think that's probably another change you saw in me from when we knew each other as, you know, kids to to meeting each other um, again as adults. Is like, I, I don't think I was very, I think I was a very silly child. And then I kind of think I lost that. And so kind of finding that again, allowing myself to be silly. Yeah, I think that's maybe the, the core of it. It just felt like just like more at ease and yeah. more like there was uh, more um, a reverence. Yeah, I think I think uh, getting back in touch with that. Um, and I think a lot of people have a hard time in adolescence and maybe sometimes lose touch with those like qualities that were really great about them as little kids. Yeah, sure. So I think for a lot of people, it's like integrating that back into yourself as an adult. Um, and kind of celebrating what was great about you as a kid. Um, yeah. Do you think, because um, I have this a question I've asked myself in many different capacities, and I think invariably the answer is yes. Uh, but do you think after everything that you've been through, do you want a family? Do you want kids? Oh, man, it's tough. I know tough. that's a very tough question. It's a very tough one. Yeah, I it's don't... It's also fluid. I yeah. I don't have a lot of healthy um, examples, I think, of um, of that. So it's it's. Um, I don't want to come out of a place of fear. Sure. Um, I really don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I also think it's complicated by uh, the profession that I have chosen. Sure. Which is hard for me. That's weird, right? Yeah, I know a lot of actresses that do do it and do do it successfully, but it requires a lot of help. Mm-hmm. And that requires a lot of money. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, I also think that my mother just seems so stressed out my entire childhood right. that I have a hard time. Uh, I, it's really encouraging to me when I see friends who both manage to be involved parents and have their own lives still. Yeah. Still have social lives, still have fun, still do things that they enjoy. Because I never saw my mother having fun. Right. I don't, can't recall my mother having fun my entire childhood. Um, my mother didn't date. Yeah. My mother didn't have relationships. My mother didn't have a lot of close friendships. My mother didn't do things to um, make herself happy or right. 
pursue interests. My mother worked and took care of me. Repeat. <laughs> Which is great, but also you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, and I think I would have been a happier kid if she had been a you know a happier adult. Yeah. And I know she was just trying to keep her head above water, um, and she did the best that she could. But I have to remind myself that you can both be a parent and still be a right. fulfilled person. So a parent um, and a person. Yeah. yeah. So maybe if I can finally really kind of feel that I, it, being a parent seems less scary, but I don't know. I yeah. I, I still don't know. Do you yeah. know? What do you? Um, you know, I, yeah, I think so more than anything, just because it feels like, well, that's an adventure I should experience. Uh Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, but also being an only child, I think like, I'm cool with one, even (laughs) though like, even though like there was times in which like, I wish I'd had another sibling really like, I never really fully got it until, but also I had a ton of cousins. So I think that kind of helped lessen the burden, but um, I don't know. It feels like I have the. I just feel like that's that's a a pass a life passage that I would like to go through. Yeah. And not the one I feel like everybody needs to, but I don't know. It feels like it. I would be re, I would be remiss if I got to a certain age and like, well, I didn't try that. Yeah. I think I'd be okay, but like I think it's like a, a little bit of an adventure I'd like to try. Yeah, operating out of fear is probably not the best. Yeah. So I should probably think about if I'm actively making a choice or if I'm just sort of letting fear um, well, it's also, it's also like what we were talking about earlier about like not moving it's sometimes easier just to yeah. be like well things are working right now why fucking stir the pot yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, well thank you so much my dear I really thank appreciate you. it yeah it was lovely to uh, actually have a conversation more than you know a few minutes in passing I know it's good to see you yeah and not just like run into each other around yeah and thank you Duncan thanks Dunk you're the real hero here breathing in the microphone the entire time nothing else would do only you only you and there you have it Another episode of Terribly Funny. Thank you so much to Miss Gillian Jacobs for coming out and sitting on my couch on a Saturday and being just wonderful and delightful and open and vulnerable. Uh, I had a good time and I learned a lot. So, thank you to her. Uh, If you want to see what else is going on with Gillian, you can check her out on Twitter. It's at Gillian Jacobs. Also, if you like what we're doing, you know, uh, tweet about us. Tell your friends. Drop us. Just, you know, get the word out there. Do some grassroots and tell people it's about us. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. It's Terribly underscore Funny. Also, if you do like what we're doing, you can go to our iTunes page. You can leave a review, write us a comment, do all the shit that you do on an iTunes page. Uh, Also, if you want to say, hey, hey, Steve, you're doing a great job. Or, hey, Steve, you're wasting our time. Or, hey, I just like the tenor of your voice. You can drop us an email at uh, terriblyfunnypodcast at gmail. We'd honestly love to hear from you. Uh, it really, it really makes my week every time I get uh, uh, an email from somebody. It makes me feel like you know what we're doing is uh, not just uh, talking into the abyss. Um, that's about it, gang. Except to say thank you to Hayden Fongheiser for doing everything behind the scenes, to Julia Pot and Kingdom Flying Club for our music, and the biggest thanks, as always, goes to you for uh, for being kind and handsome and funny and smart. And uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, I love you guys. Have a great week.